Everyone and welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Uh, we've been kindly funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. And today's topic is dyslexia and BAME, how to deal with anxiety during COVID-19. And we have the amazing Gary Barron, yeah, who's who will be joining us this evening. He's a psychotherapist and a founder of YCDC. We are really, really um, we feel so privileged to have Gary on our podcast this evening because um, he's got bags and bags of experience he, um, in, the, in the kind of work he does. He is also dyslexic and he will share his journey with you of the highs and the lows of um, how he was diagnosed with dyslexia and where he's at at the moment. So I'm going to read a little bit about Gary's background. So Gary Barron, founder and director of Youth Community Development Consultancy, is an adult child and adolescent psychotherapist and counsellor with more than 15 years experience of working with individuals and groups. Now, just to let our listeners hear this, I didn't start reading till the age of 15. And there are words I really do struggle with, but I think what's great is that being dyslexic and being real, because it's not scripted, it's right in front of me and I read it as, as it is. So if there are words I stumble across, it's purely because of my dyslexia. And I have stopped apologizing because that condition is real. So I'm just going to carry on reading. Before setting up a private practice, Gary worked as lead facilitator, project manager and education and youth development officer for teens and toddlers. Educational charity where he was responsible for the establishment of youth organisation to support emotional well-being of young people. He subsequently worked for Kids Company as a key worker and therapist in primary and secondary school in East London. During his tender at a boys secondary school, he developed and run um, experiential workshops to support emotional well-being of people, teachers and parents. He has also worked as a bereavement counsellor for Grief Encounter. Now, I think we have the amazing Gary to really speak to us today about anxiety and dyslexia. Gary, over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for the wonderful introduction, Elizabeth. And I really appreciate your authenticity because when we look at anxiety, when we start to express our anxiety, sometimes it alleviates that. So for example, I'm feeling a little bit anxious now. As we begin to sort of talk about it, it's sort of beginning to dissipate. So I really appreciate that aspect of you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Because you're being really real in the moment. And when I look at anxiety in the vein community, there's many pathways there that sort of interconnect to anxiety. So therefore there's a, you know, we're looking at COVID at this moment, but also there's the underlying issues and um, the underlying issues stay dormant. So even though we're tackling what's there, there's something underneath. So I think it's really, really important that we name it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm actually wondering, uh, just before you you, um, you introduce yourself, Gary, I'm actually wondering if anxiety is something that within the bank, I mean, I'm from Ghana, the West African community, and I'm actually wondering if we actually own that and accept it and go for help, or do we get told, just get on with it, you'll be all right. I did it when I was younger, sometimes. I, I think, it, I think it's, it, it's both, because we live in a society um, where people look at us from a different uh, lens and in that different lens we're sort of looked downwards down upon really so I think we, we we naturally feel the collective 
consciousness of how people feel about us, the anxiety of being black or Asian or from other sort of cultures. So we, we're in the world already sort of fighting a system that's inherently against us, unfortunately, historically. Um, mm. When we look at anxiety, women giving birth, the situations, we look at poverty, we look at jobs, it's all enmeshed. So when we look at anxiety, there's different levels. There's the worries, there's the concern. Am I going to get a job? Am I going to live in a house? It builds up. And if you want to go a lot deeper and we look at the sort of womb experience of the mother's stressful situations, we can look at that stress of having a sort of negative impact on the child already before they're born into the world. So that child could be very sort of irritable, overly stressed already and coming into a stressful environment. So these are things that Absolutely. it's not really spoken about, but they have an under sort of pinning to how we are going to be later in life. Because if you look at the years from naught to six or naught to seven, how a child's form in that period is how they're going to be later on in life. And we look at mental health issues there as well. So if things are not picked right. up, then inherently they're carrying these feelings and, and emotions which you know, we can also call pre-verbal trauma or conditions that they're not even able to articulate. So when we're looking at dyslexia as well, that's another component which adds to the, 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 the stress of you know, what's wrong with me. So you know, that's the sort of, um, I suppose, bigger picture of it all for sort of how I work, but I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. We're in it, <laughs> we're in it. So um, I'm, We'll say I'm going to be 51 next week. Um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was 34 years of age. Uh, I was uh, a chef before that when I was 16. Uh, did an apprentice chef for a big hotel chain called uh, Trust House 40. The reason why I went to become an apprentice chef, because I didn't do so well at school. Uh, I wasn't able to articulate what was in my mind and put it down on paper or I'd re misread the questions. So when I started uh, my secondary school, which was in South London in Peckham, I did a test and because I had a strong intuition, I, I think I did really, really well. So I was in the top classes, A1 up to, I think, year nine, and I got uh, demoted. I was really angry. I was frustrated. And really sad that all of a sudden I was in the top set and I, I also got demoted to the sort of lower sets. Unbeknown to me, I could look back, dyslexia, absolutely. Anxieties, absolutely. And there were all sort of preconditions in my early environment um, that I didn't deal with, didn't know how to deal with, because it's not spoken about in the black community. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think you mentioned earlier about pushing forward. I just got on. Mm -hmm did what I could do. I was good at cooking. So when the opportunity came to um, do a, an apprenticeship, I took it rather than going to a good college. So that's sort of my sort of start. However, I lost my way um, as a chef. I was really good, really skillful, but I'd lack self-esteem issues, self-confidence issues. And then at a certain point in my life, you could say I hit crisis, hit rock bottom. And that's where I began to train as a, as a counselor. And before that, I was, had to see a therapist and I had to do an autobiography. So I wrote this autobiography about, about my life and the reason why it's important to write, because when you're holding so much things in your mind, 
you can't disengage from or disidentify from those anxieties or traumas. So I wrote down this autobiography from 0 to 34 at the time. So I gave it to my therapist and I thought it was really, really good. And I had to hand it in for a piece of work. And she's like, you're not gonna pass. I was like, what? And I was, you know, inside I felt, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? She goes, I'm really, really sorry, Gary, but it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. So that was the first time actually I had to come face to face that what I was writing didn't make sense. And going back when I was a chef and doing quite well, you know, I had people to help me do this, do that. I've been in a senior position afterwards. I could get people to uh, do things. Now I could read and write. I was always an avid reader. However, I couldn't write down what I what I sort of what I knew in my mind. So that was my sort of dys dyslexia. So go mm. forward to being thirty four. Um, I, I felt terrible, but in order to do the PG dip, so the course I was doing was called psychosynthesis, and the reason I did this course was it had a holistic approach. So you didn't look at the um, sort of just the sort of mental aspect or um, the psychology. It looked at people's meaning and purpose and it's more holistic in the sense of looking at the soul. So we look at two parts there, the personality and what's behind the personality. So this approach is cross-cultural, gender, sex, religion. It's a, it's a philosophy that works with everyone, I suppose, young and old. So um, during this course, I um, started, or we all started at the time at the University of East London, and I had to get an educational um, psychologist report. And in that report, it came out that I had severe dyslexia. Wow. So, now at this point, how did you feel? Did you think, why have I struggled all this time and no one ever picked up on it from primary, secondary, college, until you got to absolutely. uni? Absolutely. Now that that's just so heartbreaking, and I hear this story all the time, particularly in the black community, um, and where a lot of people say, "If I hadn't gone uni, I want to find out." Now the the question I would probably ask is, not everybody goes down the uni route. What happens to those people that from the bane and never went to the uni route and have got dyslexia, for example, but have never been diagnosed? Well, uh, that's. A big question and a question that needs to be asked. Yeah. When we look at young people or people in crime, you know, and I could have gone down that pathway very, very close. There's a sense of lack of lack of um, belief, self-belief, self-esteem. Um, I can't do this or the fear of doing something because I'm going to get the words wrong or sentence wrong. The sense of something doesn't feel right. So, so when we look at that, what is the message to this young person? Because if we look at the Western culture, there's a perception of black people, especially black males, I have to say, unfortunately, that this is who they're going to become. Um, and therefore, they're being slowly programmed to what they see around them, whether we look at social media, music, um, footballers, athletics, whatever that's going to be, this is who you are, or you're a criminal. So there's a sense of, if I'm not seen on one level, if I can't express who I am, who can I connect with? And naturally, at that age, we look at young people trying to create, form their own groups, their own friendships. So they naturally 
um, bond with people similar to them. So what you have, in, in, in my opinion, is a group of young people who are lost, who are looking for community, who are looking for belonging, and this is sort of where they meet. So there's sort of creative aspects of meaning and purpose, let's use that word. It's not there, it's not been validated. We're looking at attachment issues as well. Or we're looking at parents who are working long hours, who can't be there for their children. Or parents who are also traumatised themselves. It's never been picked up in, 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 in their own learning styles as well. So therefore, we're looking at another component, intergenerational trauma. Looking at stresses, we're looking at people coming over from the Caribbean, Africa in that moment, Asia, and trying to find their way through the torrid of um, extreme behaviours from the other. So again, you look at many factors coming together as to why that individual um, uh, can't express who they are or can't even communicate to their parents because their parents have this idea that here's an educational system that works, you have to do it. But they don't understand the sort of cultural divide from where they began their journey to being in this country, for example, or sort of Western culture in the educational system. So you're looking at biases, you're looking at with people with dyslexia or other conditions that we have a sense of knowing. So our body's telling us something, we can sense it. So if you go back to um, early childhood or, or an infant, when an infant is born, they can read the situation because their senses or their hairs pick up the environment. And that sends a message to the brain to say how to be with that person because they need to survive. So, you know, the smiling cooing. So they're building up um, uh, uh, building blocks, how to be in a society. And then what I believe happens with our young people, obviously adults, that they, they use their senses that indicate to them what's going on from the other person. So, you know, this person doesn't like me, so they withdraw. This person thinks I'm stupid or I'm not good enough, they withdraw. But unless that person has a, a positive environment, as mirrored back to them, they're able to build resilience and maybe sort of work through their dyslexia in order to sort of a, a, achieve. So dyslexia in itself is, 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 is a biological component where if you have a supportive network around you, you can work through your strengths of dyslexia to get somewhere. Now, if you don't come have an environment that's supportive where you can't reach, find your meaning and purpose, then you're lost. You go to school, the teachers don't understand you. Um, you're too ashamed to say anything to your friends. But more than likely, you're in the same boat but can't express it because boys can't express feelings and emotions. It becomes a melting Absolutely. point. And then the only way you can express how you feel, boys like to play fight, is, is through sports, if it's there, if it's available. Um, or through uh, uh, other means, but it's very hard because you want to get that energy out. It's trapped. So this is where I, I feel the support in the sort of BAME community needs to be directed at. Um, psychoeducation with the parents, I think, is number one, really, really important. How to communicate with your child. How do you see your child? And I think there's another element that comes in in, 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 the, in the sense of if our parents can see us, as who we are, hold us, I love you, are you okay? There's a signal that I, there's something important in me. Yeah, you're special. And that sense of feeling special can build resilience to overcome the challenges or how do I get support? 
how do you see your parents get support oh the teacher's helped me he really cares for me okay i'm going to listen so i think these are all sort of important steps there and and i think what's important if we're feeling stress and we can't express it or someone doesn't give us coping strategies or we can't see our parents do it we don't know how to cope or express what's going on internally for us so how can we also ask for support out there absolutely yeah wow that's really awesome thank you so so much that's really i mean i can listen to you all day all day honestly i just love the way you know you you've actually um covered that first part of it but i'm going to move on to our first question and the question is is there a link between dyslexia and anxiety now i'm dyslexic and that's 100 percent yes but i'm asking you this question because you're a psychotherapist yeah i'm a psychotherapist but i'm not an expert on dyslexia yeah, of course not <laughs> you live the condition <laughs> yes i think there's an interplay between the both of them i think it goes back to what i uh, mentioned earlier on Dyslexia in itself is, is a biological component. As you said, it's not about, you know, um, uh, parental skills. It's not about um, um, how your parents raise you, but it is in the sense of how your parents deal with um, uh, stressful situations. Now, when we look at dyslexia and we look at, you know, let's say, will I am, um, I'm trying, my mind's gone black now of all, all the other people with dyslexia. Um, well, I, I think well, I'm, he's got ADHD. Um, ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. And there's Anton. Rose, Rose Smith. Yeah, Anton. Rose Smith. Yeah. Anton, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's many. There is yeah. so many black dyslexics out there. But when, if like when we were doing our Black History Month video and you kind of contact people, I think for me, I felt like the shame. I didn't really want to engage. But there's, there's a lot of us out there. And I'm normally sort of pleading with people, say, look, this is for our younger generation to be able to talk about the condition from our community and let them see that, yes, you can do it, you know. And yes, dyslexia does exist, um, exist within the Black community because some people don't even think that there is such thing. You know, they kind of brush it to one side. But sorry, I cut you off there. And, and you were talking about famous people like Rupert Godberg and well, uh, Louis Hamilton. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's really, really important because I think, again, there's a stigma. And let's go back 500 years and I don't really want to mention sort of um, the sort of slavery, but we're talking about COVID. Mm. We're talking about the Black Lives Matters. They're all part of the contributing factor. And I'm not saying it's the reason, but also you've got to look at where for hundreds of years, we weren't able to um, sort of educate our young people. It was taken away from us. Mm -hmm. I think there's something that actually needs to be researched in, 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 in that way as well. So, when we look at the people who sort of um, sort of move forward in that uh, self-education at the time to write books um, and I'm reading his book now and it's Douglas, um, how can I forget his name? Uh, the, the famous author, uh, 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 abolitionist, I forgot his name now, his surname. Sorry Douglas, please forgive me. <laughs> they're people who had the meaning through what they were going through and push forward, like what you're doing now, and I suppose like I'm doing. Mm. The, the aspect that they got support from someone around them. And when I look at the sort of young people in our, 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 our community, it's about taking support. So going back to the, the, the original question, mm -hmm. um, if you have a supporting environment and you're seen, if you have dyslexia, then you're able to deal with it in a positive way because there's a sense of, okay, there's something not right 
with my child or my child saying to me they don't understand. And that could be the parents picking up um, reading, their child have difficulties expressing themselves. Now, my daughter has dyslexia mm -hmm. and she writes all the time, she reads all the time, but we got support for her earlier on. And she's a fantastic writer, amazing writer. Mm. Now, I knew the challenge I went through and still do. I still do. Yeah. 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 And so I was able to see that and we got support for her straight away. So she's doing well. It's a gift. You're creative writing. You don't have to um, get your words spoke correctly. It's okay. Allow you, we're allowing her to express who she is and everything else will slowly come into play at the right time for her. But she's doing really, really well. And I use that as an example because I'm, I'm supporting her in that. I know how it felt for me not to be seen or, or understand what was going on for me because I was going crazy. Mm -hmm. Am I stupid? So I, I think what happens with people in dyslexia or in my experience or in our community is because they're not held or seen or it's not talked about, then they withdraw. And then when we look at anxiety, we look at how people deal with stressful events. There's good and bad because stress is good, as you know. But when it comes to the, to the point where it becomes a fear or social phobia because of the fear of writing or the fear of I can't do this because if I do this, people will laugh at me. Humiliation, shame. So then we were looking at this big, huge brick from a wall where the person who's trapped in that moment so you've got to remember, anxiety brings up a sense of fight, freeze, and flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the brain closes down. So the message it sends is, we're in this situation. Um, I need to either run away, stay, or fight. So you can't see anything else. You close down. So when we look at young people, or looking at myself, um, I might be on a computer, and the sense of being seen, which is why I mention it, all of a sudden I get overwhelmed. Nice. Someone's gonna notice me, but the message could be, it's like, oh, you know, they're really looking forward to see you. They wanna hear what you have to say. But because of my past experiences, past anxieties of what I haven't processed, so traumas early in childhood, get evoked. And what it's saying is, Gary, you were humiliated in this situation. This happened to you. And again, I'm unaware of it we need to protect you. Now, even though I've meaning and potential, I can do well, what becomes evident is I cannot do this and I'll withdraw. It sounds like me, even though a lot of people say to me, oh, Elizabeth, you're really confident and you're out there and you're doing what you're doing. But in a lot of cases, I'm, I'm exactly what you just explained. Um, I, immediately I go back to my childhood and it's like, okay, so you were stumbling on words, you, you couldn't read properly. Um, you were bullied for not being able to read properly. And is that what's going to happen? And I used to apologize all the time. I'm really sorry, I can't say that word. I'm really sorry, but I can't spell that. But I stopped doing that now. And I normally say, wherever I go for talks or even in our podcast, I would normally say to, to the guest, um, if I stumble on a word, we're gonna go with it because the dyslexia is real. It's not scripted and it's not rehearsed. Um, you know, our podcast are yeah. just um, one of those things that are just done um, at the spell of the moment. and. I just think it makes it real because it is a condition that we can't keep hiding from it. We, we need to really be out there and speak about it and let the younger generation or those that were left lost in a system to understand that it, it is a condition that is 100% real. 
Unfortunately, there is no medication for it, and there isn't any. So we just have to find strategies to to deal with with, with the um, condition and, and do the best we can, really. Um, so I 100% I, I agree with you on the dyslexia and anxiety. I would say yes. Our listeners, I don't know how they feel about that, but um, most people I've spoken to will say, look, I, I normally get sweaty palms and I don't have to I can't do it, I can't do it. Some people cry when I have to read. Yeah. You know, they'll be in flood of tears because they're just not able to do that. Um, so how, how best can we cope with anxiety, um, Gary, and dyslexia? I would say as much as they're, they're a loop, and I mentioned earlier on the sort of interplay between both of them. In many ways, they're 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 they're, they're different. In many ways, but they are one. And again, I think looking at anxiety, you've got to look at the underlying issue. So, for example, you being authentic. Now, to give an example, one day I was mm-hmm. doing a training fifteen years ago. I know the work really well, and it was in a, a group mainly of our our, our, our community. And all of a sudden, I started to have palpitations. I was sweating. Um, anxiety was there. And that part was the dyslexia. If I get it wrong, the yes. humiliation. So I mentioned it, and that's happened subsequently through, through, the years, through the years as well. Now, the issue of anxiety, there's got to be a, a core element to it. So again, we're looking at attachment issues about how we for support how we deal with it so for example the way you deal with it and how i dealt with it afterwards like mm. no i'm quite anxious and once i mentioned it mm. it dissipates then all of a sudden i can't stop talking <laughs> like i me. get i get i, I, I get it but that's my strategy <laughs> now now the difference is i've been on the journey mm. you know working with myself working with other people so i've got more experience i would say the young people as you it's about being authentic you know i have this challenge um so i think it's about talking about it um with people it could be online yes, yes. to um yeah. um you know samaritans any of these organizations it could be looking up on youtube typing dyslexia but also focusing about your gifts what is that person good at and getting someone to support that individual mm. and focus on their strengths because dyslexia asd adhd whatever it is these are gifted people that see the world in a different way. And if we look at how the world educational system is centered, it's about learning. So people are not able to use their intuition, their gifts that they have. And dyslexic people, as you well know, have a certain way of seeing the world. These are the people that are mavericks. And the reason why the world is the way it is, is because they've had to focus on their creative elements. But it has to be spotted first of all. And I think that's the work that you're doing, that I do with young people and others, is about focusing on what they're good at. And then once they're able to feel strong enough, confident, build up their self-esteem, then what they're able to do is use the elements of what they're good at and use transferable skills. Yeah, because I can do this now. So that sense of anxiety, brick, well, I can't, I can't. All of a sudden, hold on a minute. I did it there. Okay, so how can I begin to use these skill set with this piece of work, yeah? And then again, it's about confidence. Okay, coping strategies. Oh yeah, let me try a bit. Obviously having someone they can speak to, but you're doing really well, this is really, really good. And it's also sort of supports them through that ceiling of I, I can't, so I can. It's, it's a journey in, it's a, it's a journey in, in itself. 
And again, it's about being with them on that journey. There's a young person I worked with, he's 24 now, severely dyslexic. I picked it up when he was 16 when I was working for Tees and Toddlers, the, the, the charity at the time. And I created this a part of the organization because all of a sudden we worked for these young people for six months and we would leave them. And I thought, no, I wanted to continue the, the journey. So the journey was creating other supportive people, organizations where they could build up their self-esteem, build up different skills um, so they can do well. So all of a sudden he was doing his coursework. I was like, you've got dyslexia. He went to college, found that had dyslexia, changed his uh, course or passed it at the end. And then he began to do a BA in media studies. He qualified um, uh, this year. Now, severe anxiety, um, he had issues, but he used the support of the university, dyslexia tutors, uh, computers, they give you, as, 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 as you know, so he used the facil facilities, resources, and my support as well. You know, he's seen a therapist as, as well now. So I think it's about self-esteem, um, self-confidence, people yes. being there yeah. with you in that journey, looking at coping skills that you can use, that person saying, look, you can do it. Um, looking at family issues, that's gotta be a part of that process as well. How can you overcome it? How can you see that situation differently? So I think, many contributing factors that we have to work with with those individuals. Um, and again, focusing on their strengths and saying, look, you can yeah, do this. Yeah. Forget about the world, come with me, mm. connect to your essence, give them an experience of their essence. So for example, I've realized working with yeah. children with dyslexia or ASD or ADHD, sorry, or self-esteem issues, confidences, if you can get them to visualize an image of where they're going. And then you can begin to give them the words or they find the words themselves, it's coming from it within them. So they can match their words with the vision. Yeah, as what people do in coaching. I have an identity planet. So you, they're connecting mm. to what's within them that's never been named or seen before, but it's their image, it's their words, so there's a truth to it. So the journey is beginning to build that process for them with them and it's a sense of oh i am good i can do this absolutely yeah and for me that's the work where it's with young children yeah. um a quick example that's okay um a young guy dyslexia in east london you mentioned it earlier on in primary school unfortunately mother passed away um, a couple of years ago now this was a young child who's two years behind everyone else um, so I worked with him two years, worked with the teachers, uh, worked with the Senko, worked with the, uh, uh, the uh, guardian of that person. Uh, deep self-esteem issues, the person throw themselves on the floor, be bullied. So I uh, worked for him for two years. So in year six, just before they start year six, or so year five at the end, I stopped. By the end of year six, they were uh, English same level as everyone else and just 10% down or 5% down on maths. So the part of mirroring, you can, you're good at this, you're good at rapping, you're all of a sudden built a self-esteem that I can do things. Yeah? So that holistic approach yes. yeah. with a yeah. young person is so important because they can yeah. believe, yes, I can do this. Of course. And of course, having someone like you work with young people and parents, um, 
you know, the work you do is phenomenal, really, really amazing. And um, thank you so much for supporting the um, dyslexic community, so much so maybe the black community, if I can say that, with the amazing work that you're doing. So Gary, just before you go, what top tips would you give to the BAME community um, about dyslexia and anxiety and, and how to best look after yourself during COVID-19? Save the best to the end. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, so looking at dys dys dyslexia, if you feel you have dyslexia, it's about getting the right support with organisations like yourself. Again, I think looking up YouTube, you know, look, put, type in dyslexia, what dyslexia is, and looking at sort of video clips, looking at the adolescent brain, I think that's really, really important, where it tells you how the brain works, it tells you about anxiety. There's so many out there, two minutes, four minutes, five minutes, because that eases the sense of anxiety of young people in our community that, hold on a minute, I'm going through all these processes. It's not me, it's my mind. It's a natural process. So I think that's really, really important to sort of separate, but understand what's going on. Depression, um, puberty, all repressed, suppressed emotions is merging in that, in, 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 in that moment. So I would say, look on YouTube if you're scared to talk to people, phone Samaritans, organizations like yourself, talk to friends, talk to teachers, name it. And I would say, if you're feeling anxious, mm -hmm. write it down, autobiography, draw symbols. Uh, so you're getting it out of yourself. Uh, look at who else has dyslexia. Look at how they use coping strategies. So I think that's really important to begin to talk about it with people, find organisations, and then think, I'm not alone. And I think that's yeah, most important because I think we feel we're not alone, but also we have trust issues because of society. Um, you know, as you said, I, I did an MA, I had a dyslexia tutor. I don't like asking for support. I still struggle too, but I've realised to get where I'm going, I need to do it. Like today, doing this podcast was anxiety. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I did it. So I have to be thankful yes. for you asking me to sort of be here and actually oh, taking that first step. Because again, this is part of my process of getting out there helping as many of our community to sort of find their potential, to find their meaning, to get out there. And also parents, educational. What do parents need as well? How can we support each other? Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gary. That was absolutely phenomenal. I have to use that word. I could listen to you all day. And thank you so much for your expert advice. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being you. And thank you for being a great dyslexic, um, leading the way and showing examples to the next generation to come. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? Um. We would need your links, by the way, all your website links and all your, um, how people can contact you for, for support in terms of yeah. what the work you do. Yeah. So, I mean, my, there's the two websites I have. I have the www.yc-dc.co.uk. And in the work I do there, I work with adverse childhood experiences. So children who have many traumas, but adults, we all have ACEs. Um, people need sort of work with self-esteem, confidence, dyslexia. Again, it's about the holistic approach of finding their meaning and purpose, really, their, their gift, their superhero gifts. And that's what I'm really sort of focused on. But also working in schools. You know, I could run workshops, um, do, do psychotherapy with teachers, parents, and also young people as well. So 
it's a really like a holistic approach where sort of um, where if you work with the child, you work with the Absolutely. family, you work with the school. Yeah. So yeah, I run workshops as well, um, sort of music therapist. So I mean, there's many people I'm connected with as with you. But one thing I, I will leave here as well is um, it's like a mirror. <laughs> And the more we can mirror the work that we do with each other and our other people, that's the beginning. So what you've done, I think, is fantastic. Thank you. Um, email address quickly would be um, gary at gbcounseling.co.uk. So if you want to contact me, you can contact me through there. And also gary um, at ycdc.co.uk. So I think... Yeah. Whereabouts are you based, Gary? Are you in London? So I'm, I'm actually based in in, um, in Golders Green. Ah, so I work London. from home. I also work in London Bridge and also West London as well. Wonderful. So again, I, I can travel as well. So yeah. Thank you so much, Gary. We have to bring the podcast to an end. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work that you're doing. And we just want to say to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And if there's any help at all you need, Gary's details will be posted along with the podcast. You can contact Gary to do with psychotherapy and um, coping with stress, anxiety, trauma. If you're a parent, you can contact um, Gary. You deal with adults as well. Is that right? Yep. Yes, I work with young children and adults. Yeah, I do group work as well with men and women and young Fantastic. people. So yes. And of course, um, thank you everybody for listening. This, um, I was going to say this evening, but just thank you for listening. And um, of course, we'll be back next week with another topic. Same time, same place. But just before we go, we'd like to say a very big thank you to the National Lottery Community Fund for supporting such a great project. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye for now. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia podcast, All Things Dyslexia, is funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and presented by Elizabeth Tashi. It's produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.